You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Pauline Moran, and you're listening to Frankie and Adam on the Labours of Aircule podcast. Captain Hastings, I told you not to pay this account. Hey, Frankie. Hey, Adam. What did you think of our, our chat with a certain Mrs. Suchet then? Oh, uh, you mean our close personal friend, David Suchet, beloved yeah, international treasure? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty, pretty f***ing cool, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? It was amazing. It was amazing. And um, it struck me, actually, because he's been doing the interview circuit, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Really? I've seen him everywhere at the moment. He's you know, all over Morning the Morning television. Room. I thought our chat with him was way more insightful than anything that mainstream media are putting out there so I'm very very proud of it I'm not I don't think we're biased at all but I do think that the difference is we genuinely love him and genuinely love and care about Poirot those mainstream people they don't care and love him like we do they'll never understand him like we do which is why I think we had that incredible close friendship and connection from the beginning Did you watch the Good Morning Britain? I did. Yikes. Mm. Oh, it's not just us that are not particularly keen on the format of that interview. <laughs> We've had a few messages. Uh, you can read the comments. It's on YouTube if you want to go look at mm. it. It's about what, five, five minutes long. I think they yeah. let him talk for, what, 90 seconds of it? Or you know, he was on TV to promote Boira more. And you can see about, <laughs> about two and a half minutes in, he was the look on his face was kind of like, are you going to let me talk? <laughs> and also, why <laughs> are you weird, asking me it? if I was sad that the Queen died? Yes, I was yeah. sad that the Queen died. Is that a hot scoop for you? Like, yeah. what a and weird they, they, thing. They were, trying to, they were trying to press him on all the other royals, and it was like, what That's not what he's there for, mate. It was very yeah. strange. Anyway, um, yeah, we're very proud of our uh, interview with uh, Mr. Yes. David Suchet, and from the feedback we've been getting, everyone else seems to have really dug it. So thank you. I mean, we've conquered that that mountain. It was quite an achievement to talk to him. And, um, yeah. We're very proud it was, of it. It was awesome, and... Let you in a little secret, listeners. When Adam and I go and see David Suchet in his Poirot and More tour next month, in, he was like, three "Oh, three weeks." He was like, "Oh, hey, why don't you uh, pop backstage and say hello?" <laughs> so mm. we're gonna meet him in person backstage <laughs> after the show. It's crazy. We've uh, we've got an invitation to uh, go and see him in person after the show so yeah it's gonna be very cool Frankie's I'm just gonna, gonna shuffle in my knees what mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes it's very exciting we will uh hopefully get a photo that we can share with everyone to prove that it happened and uh yeah very exciting thanks to um obviously to david for coming onto the show but thanks also to his team <laughs> the lovely paul has been instrumental in uh setting up everything and uh, you know he, he nothing was too big or too small to ask him. thank so you paul, a lot, paul. Mm-hmm. he's a he's a lifetime friend of the show now paul lucky thing <laughs> you made it paul well <laughs> yeah. done you can retire you can dine out on that one paul no problem <laughs> 
other small things? I mean, I don't know if you caught the announcement at the beginning of our David Suchet interview, but we are appearing live at the Farnham Literary Festival on Tuesday, yes. March the 5th. So uh, tickets are on sale now. There'll be a link in the show notes if you want to come along. I know a few of you have been in touch to say that you're you're coming along, so that would be very nice. But um, And Frankie's also moderating and appearing on other panels throughout the week. If you I check am. out Frankie's socials, <laughs> details are all on there. Um, yes, and we'll please put a link come. To those in the show notes as well yeah please go and wave to frankie i'll, I'll be at, i'll be at those anyway waving no, you won't asking, asking you the curveball questions yeah, well. uh, it would be so lovely to see you guys in the crowd and we, we're not entirely sure the format of the whole evening yet but we're hoping maybe we can have a chance to catch up and say hello to you guys for after we've done our show because you've you know it's a very rare opportunity to be out in the wild together so would be a shame to not make the most of it. Though so more to come on that. Is. And uh, lastly, we have launched our Patreon. We? we launched our Patreon a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's got a sort of hard launch date of February yeah. the 1st, but we opened it up anyway so people could go along and take a look. And soft launch. loads of you have signed up already. Yes, we had a soft launch. Loads of you have signed <laughs> up already. And we've started putting content out. It's not like we have. going there to a barren landscape or anything. There is stuff there, uh, including video of a certain interview, in case you're curious and want to see the that. gm the, uh, the good morning britain interview guys we've got it on patreon <laughs> no that's not true with our superior interview with david we're going to be sharing other interview videos mm-hmm. as well in the coming weeks and months and some other yeah audio delights yes uh indeed um i just quickly want to give a shout out to the people who signed up because uh yes. while the list is small enough to manage as well <laughs> but anyway to uh joni karjalainen glitter fancy transfer productions amy denton robert stroud tracy h victoria schiefer katie o'donnell suvi rautel karen flynn kira jack grundy Catherine oliver Harsh Singh, Jennifer Kerr, and Dobby, thank you for being the first batch of patrons in. It's very, very sweet of you. Um, yes. There's also a short story reading on there at the moment. I think it's, it's very good. There's a, think, also, Discord. There. Yes, we've got a Discord server for uh, for patrons at the moment. Um, and it's people are in there chatting, aren't they? So it's, uh, yeah. Yes. Um, all you need to do is sign up. It's patreon.com forward slash cozy AF, C-O-S-Y AF. <laughs> The link is in the show notes. It's very easy to sign up. Um, but yes, we've we've got three or four more things going out in the next week or so, haven't we? So um, Yeah. Yeah. If you want more, there it is. Yeah, careful what you wish for. You ask for more and now you can have it. Do we have any correspondence? Oh boy, yes. Uh, we have had, as always, you guys are absolutely amazing. And there have been so many wonderful emails coming in. As I'm going to give my little speech that I give now before every episode where <coughs> I wish we could read them all out. But it would be a whole episode of reading out emails and nobody wants that. So I'm going to do the best I can to get a few in today. We'll pick up the rest and do more in the future. So don't be disheartened if we don't read you out today. I promise we will get to you. Okay? Okay? <laughs> I shout, everyone. Okay. Good Better stuff. Read my email. Uh, was it your resignation? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> you never read it. So if I don't read it, it doesn't count. The first email is from Susanna. And she's and the subject line is love the podcast. Someone knows how to get read out. Correct. Uh, she says, hi, Frankie and Adam. Just wanted to say that I love your podcast since I found it two months ago and started watching the series alongside it. My family and I listened to Agatha Christie audiobooks when I was younger and I've become a big fan. 
I'm currently in university and don't have a lot of time to read, so I just turn on your podcast in every free minute. Bless you. Sometimes I remember some of the details of the stories, still never able to figure it out completely, even though someone thought it was a good idea to translate many of the titles to something else in German, so I now never know if I've heard a story or not. Whoever is responsible for my many confused uh, Google searches, they sound damned offensive, Susanna. That's incredibly rude. You're damned offensive. I said, I didn't know the TV series before and was just looking for a podcast about Agatha Christie, but now I love it, especially all the Art Deco houses and amazing sick burns. Keep up the amazing work. For the end, a question for you. If there would be a remake of the series and you would be in it, which character do you see yourself portraying? And that was from Susanna oh. in Germany. Dankeschön. Wow. Frankie, who would you play? I don't think I'm worthy to take up the Miss Lemon mantle because I'm I think you are. damn defensive, dirty swine. You are even more organised than Miss Lemon. So you get my vote. Wow. I mean, it would be the role of a lifetime, the honour of a lifetime. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I probably deserve to play more like a, a, a Mr. Waverly character, really. Oh, that's who I was going to pick. I'm, you I'm should be Mr. Waverly. Waverly. Uh, You're also, damn defensive. You are made for that role. It was it was born, born <laughs> to play it. I, I wouldn't mind Miss Lemon or how about Countess Vera Rosakov? I could practice mm. my Russian accent and I mean, try her. Plus you get to, you know, romance Poirot as well. Oh, it's not beyond my... Uh, uh, my thinking there then that would be the case so. <laughs> if yeah, I had to play a question. main character I would totally play Jap though I love a meat pie I love the <laughs> cheddar, cheddar after me dinner you're always chomping cheddar. on a pasty and shaking your fist at yeah. people in the yeah, square well. <laughs> <laughs> oh I can't wait to get into this episode because there's some great Jap in this one but we'll talk, really about, is, yeah. talk about that later uh, another lovely email here from Matthew with the subject line podding down the Nile and it says Dear Frankie and Adam, long-time listener over here in Dubai. Brackets, please add wow. to world tour list. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, okay. Fine, we'll come to Dubai. <laughs> uh, I actually started listening from your first episode in summer 2022, as I serendipitously searched for a Poirot podcast before boarding a flight to, to Greece. Rhodes, coincidentally. And it has been something. Tiny. I know, right? Uh, and it has been something of a steady bi-weekly listen ever since. Someone, brackets, Frankie, might call it a love triangle erodes ever since. Get this right. <laughs> Matthew says, I am the editor of Esquire magazine here in the Middle East. What? No, he's and, not. He bloody is. And he's introduced no, the pod to several of my Poirot Savvy colleagues. We now all speak almost exclusively in quotes from the Whitehaven floor for sneaking in references into editions of the magazine where possible. What? Show us. Yeah. Proof. Proof. <laughs> yeah. Proof. Please, Proof. Matthew, send us some e some examples. We would love to see them. Oh, uh, please. Yeah, just just take them on your phone and send them through on socials or just email them to us. Yeah, email them to the me. thrill of a lifetime to see that you've called, uh, you know, a specific fragrance a damned offensive smell. <laughs> <or something>. Dirty <laughs> swine. Dirty swine. Uh, we were delighted <laughs> by Frankie's comments about the miscasting of Prince Farouk in The Theft of the Royal Ruby. The casting was indeed damned offensive. Uh, damned offensive. You're a damn right, Matthew. You and I, Matthew, as a, someone in Dubai, we know we know an Arab when we see one, and that man was not an Arab. Uh, he says, keep up the good work and give us a call should you ever decide to record an episode from a paddle steamer while plodding or podding 
down the Nile. Oh, that's a very specific call, isn't it? That's <laughs> great. I know, but, but otherwise we can't call if we're just in the area. Oh, oh God. Damn it. <laughs> a charter a steamer. Can't, can't call Matthew. It's <laughs> yeah. so annoying. But Matthew, what Thanks a so, brilliant Matthew. email that really made me smile when that one came in. Another <laughs> lovely email. Gosh, you guys are amazing. Uh, and the subject line of this one is the puns, the puns. Hi, Frankie. Brackets and also Adam, but this is mainly to Frankie. Oh, Sorry, yeah, Adam, go away. <laughs> it's, right. it's for me. Uh, I'm currently listening to your Death in the Clouds episode, and I just want to say, read your puns. I think they're wonderful. I too have a reputation as a lover of puns, and I have to tell you about it. When I was about nine, my granddad sent me a postcard from his holiday, which had on it a picture of a horse with giant teeth, and the caption "Fun Nay." <laughs> <laughs> granddad had written nothing about his holiday but just put laura i knew you would like this card as i know you how much you like puns before this i was not known as a pun lover but it became a bit of a family in joke to say we know laura likes puns this pushed me into the pun life and now i genuinely love puns it's followed me through life ever since i talk about my granddad a lot because he was such an amazing man so I must inevitably mention the original postcard and now people who have never met any of my family, let alone my granddad who died nearly 20 years ago, are in on the in-joke and will often say, well, we know Laura likes puns. <laughs> sorry for the sentimentality. Never be sorry for that. That was lovely. Uh, she said, I took a punt that you'd appreciate the story. But Frankie, keep on punning. With every pun you make, you pun intentionally make my day. Pun life solidarity from Laura. <laughs> Amazing. Isn't that lovely? It was wonderful. It was. Laura, you are you are my people, Laura. Thank you for a lovely email. <laughs> and unfortunately for Adam, I can't stop the puns even if I wanted to. So it's afraid the puns are here to stay. I like the puns. Uh-huh. Oh, you should see his face, listeners. Like he's I sucking did. on a lemon. That's just, my, no, that's just my normal face. I wish I was sucking on a lemon. There were some lovely messages on social media, but I think we're just going to stuff this episode too much if I read them all out, though, aren't mm. I? Please don't let that deter you from emailing because I love your emails and I read all of them. So please... Please do keep sending them. Thank you in advance. Talking to people via interview is fascinating and wonderful and such an honour. But I am very excited to get back to episodes as well. Me too. Um, I'm going to be up front slightly. Let's save a bit. I think this is one of the most bizarre episodes I've ever (laughs) seen. And that's why I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Um, For those of you who missed it last time, we are talking about one to buckle my shoe this time. So let's get on it. Buckle up. You know Laura's a fan of puns. Yay! I did know Laura was a fan of fun. A pan of funs? She's <laughs> <laughs> a pan of funs. <laughs> got a pan full of funs. <laughs> Hello, this is David Suchet, and I'm with Frankie and Adam on The Labours of Hercule. And great time too. One, two, buckle my shoe then. So, uh, just quickly, this is a Hastings Light episode, isn't it? Oh, Miss nope. Lemon Light. It's just No lemon, no heavy stings, just Jap. It's Jap and, Jap and Hercule uh, yeah. on, on the case this time. So, no Whitehaven 4 to speak White of. Haven and we open one. in Yeah, we open in rather exotic... Um, well, before we open in exotic <laughs> Yeah, come on. Do you, want to, do you want to describe the absolutely batch opening to this... Episode. This episode, oh boy. Okay, um, for those not in the know, one, two, buckle my shoes, a line from a nursery rhyme. And also apparently classic hopscotch background music. 
because it opens on two children mm. hopscotching in slow motion yeah. to one, two, buckle my shoe. Adam, how would you describe this particular adaptation of those famous nursery rhyme? I would describe this episode mm-hmm. as an attempt to scary up. Yes. Um, I was so fascinated by this episode that I went away and sort of did a little bit of looking around. And um, this episode apparently is regarded as one of the darker episodes of Poirot. And I think it's because the director of this episode, Mr. Ross Devonish, who I have looked up, he also directed Mysterious Ferret Styles for Poirot. Uh, And this one, uh, he seems to have said to himself, the way to make people's spine chill is Mm. to give it like this weird, uncanny feeling all the way throughout. Yeah. He has unfortunately (laughs) hired a team of what I would describe as 50-year-old women to impersonate a gang of children. And all the way through the episode, they do this one, two, buck on my shoe rhyme. I'll play your clip quickly. Does that sound anything like children? No. And the thing that's really confusing about that is that there are two children right there on the screen. Uh I like, I really like the thought though, that this director initially was going to use those children, heard them sing and he was like, no, they're not up to scratch. They're not, they can't, you know what we need? A group of 50 year old women. Are you telling me couldn't find? No. Children who could sing. A group. Just to, just even go to a school and say, look, three of you stand in the corner and sing one to your bucket my shoe. No, they have this grown adults. It's doing very good. And it's quite when, um, as gnarled as your performance of it. It's so as, weird though. But it's weird. It's, it's super weird. It's it's hilarious. We have to say, talk about it because mm. it comes up so often in the episode. And there's even a part where they're walking down the street past the girls and they're playing it on the street. I've never heard the rhyme in its entirety. Yeah. But when they get to 1925 and all that stuff, it's like, what the hell was that choice? Three, four, knock at the door. Five, six, three, cups, six, seven, eight, eight, and straight. Nine, ten, the big fat hen. Eleven, twelve. 
The other issue I have <laughs> so with weird. this, and I understand why they keep trying to hammer it in there to remind you that it's called One Two Buck on My Shoe. And it's mm. a very literal interpretation of that in this episode, in a mo- yeah. which we'll get onto later. But if I, Frankie, ran a successful dentistry <laughs> and there were these two kids out there doing hopscotch, singing like creepy 50 year olds every single day i would be absolutely fuming i would confiscate their chalk no more drawing mm-hmm. hopscotch marks outside my building thank you very much and keep the singing to a minimum and also where where are they at school correct you'll probably think why aren't you talking about the episode this is integral to the episode <laughs> because we, we will get there in a second but the thing is it's yep. such a strange thing to have done and when you see it throughout the episode, you're like, why? Why have you done no. it? But anyway, the episode kicks off with this grainy footage of yep. a murder being committed while this rhyme is being sung. And don't worry, I know it's called One Two Buckle My Shoe. And there is a, you know, a shoe buckle that plays a part in it. And a, later you know, on, a yeah. later on. But you don't need this much nursery rhyming. You know, we they're get really it. hammering you in the face with it. Like, really want yeah. to make sure you know what the name of the episode is it's like the director said i want to make this terrifying and dark and stuff but actually it's sort of the opposite it, sort of it just makes it bit... unhinged yeah, but not a in a scary crap. way yeah it is a bit crap <laughs> yeah. it is because a... even like the mm-hmm. at one point they have it dubbed so the little girl look is meant to be singing it and it's clearly not her yeah. singing it and it just looks yeah. Like clunky and weird. But the only way of this being done justice is if you watch, watch this episode it because you, you yeah. will see what we mean. It's so it's such a weird choice. It's like he went yeah. away and did did all this stuff and then came back and went there. You go, this is your finished episode. And they must have watched it. And gone, Why have you done this? Like yeah. all the way through the episode. And he went, Well, it's scary, isn't it? I will also oh, say God. that I think those two little girls doing hopscotch twenty four seven outside the dentist, uh, <laughs> they are the reason that the child catcher existed in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because <laughs> they are a menace, quite frankly. They're defacing public property, drawing chalk all over the floor mm. and potentially harming business. They really, like, I wouldn't, if, if I went to my dentist and there was a kid's hopscotching outside the front, I would turn around and I would suffer the, the tooth injury <laughs> instead because that, I don't want to be any part of that. Thank you very much. Anyway, so <laughs> lock them up, throw them in a cage and confiscate uh, the chalk. Dolly Pop. And all free today. <laughs> Vote for yeah, me. I'll show them. Frankie, <laughs> as your childcare minister. Thank you. <laughs> right. You're the job. Thank um, you. Yeah, so... Um, the man was we, had, we, <laughs> <laughs> we had to mention it, because if yeah. we didn't, and you watch this episode, you go, why the hell didn't you mention the, the yeah. stupid... Everyone who's already or... seeing it, I guarantee, is listening to us now going, thank God somebody said it, because it's mad. It's, it's, it's unhinged. It's, it's just, yeah, it's mad yeah. as box frogs. Anyway, so it opens... <laughs> um, the episode opens with the very <laughs> silly um, nursery rhyme singing with grainy footage of a dentist being shot. And then it cuts from that to some point back in time. We're in India and there mm. is uh, like a... Speaking trouble. of horrors, <laughs> yeah. we're back to the imperial rule in India. <laughs> uh, the Prince of Wales is visiting uh, via newsreel. 1925. And the Prince of Wales embarks on his tour of the Indian subcontinent. 
The welcoming cheers that greet the heir to the imperial throne prove positive that India remains just as steadfastly loyal to the crown as it was in the days of his great-grandmother, Queen Victoria. We see a performance of Much Ado About Nothing taking place in like like a cafe, sort of very ornate sort of performance place. And um, the actors on stage finish their performance and they give a bow. And backstage afterwards, we meet two of the actresses in the production, Gerda and Maybelle Sainsbury Seal. That's a name you're going to be hearing a lot throughout this oh episode. Boy. It's quite funny. Why did Agatha Christie have to give such a long name? Why did it not be like Smith or Jones? But no, yeah, Sainsbury Seal. We could just call her SS, but uh, we'll see how we go. It might give a little connotation towards maybe the Third Reich. So we <laughs> Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, sorry. She seems very nice by all accounts, so I'm not going to... Yeah. Yeah. Cast aspersions. Did you meet the Prince of Wales, Mr. Blunt? <laughs> no. Never got closer than five yards. We've got something to tell you. Oh, no, Gerda, please, you promise. Alistair wants it kept secret from his stuffy family, but we're going to be married. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations, Mr. Blunt. <laughs> when will this be? Quite soon, actually. Alistair's bank want him back in London next month. Oh, come on, Alistair. I want to dance. Excuse us, please, Miss Sainsbury Seal. <laughs> anyway, while they're backstage, uh, we meet Mr. Blunt, who is courting one of the actresses, courting Gerda, and apparently he's a massive banker. Uh, that she's been dating and Maybelle has her issues with their relationship. She's quite vocal about the fact that uh, mm. Gerda, she's not too sure about them being together. But anyway, don't worry about it because they're off to a party at Government House where the Prince of Wales is going to be. So it's all very exciting. Mm. Yeah, she's not a fan of Mr. Blunt. In fact, she thinks he's a... Totally he's a massive blunt. blunt. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a massive blunt and a massive banker. <laughs> <laughs> And there's got to be a code. There's got to be some coding in there somewhere. Isn't there? I think it's an accident, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and now we're in the present day, and we're at the dentist with Wow. Poor Poirot has to navigate the hopscotch menace children outside the front because he's got a dentist appointment and he is so incredibly apprehensive and nervous, isn't he? Like uncharacteristically, mm. very, very coy. Uh, possibly, as I've written in my notes here, the repercussions of too many demi-kilos of the finest chocolates have taken their toll on Poirot's mm -hmm. perfect teeth. And yeah, he goes in. And also, can we talk for a second about how terrifying 1930s dentistry looks? Because Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know, right? It's like a carpeted <laughs> chair. That just doesn't seem very hygienic to me. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get the blood out of that? You don't. I think you just add to it and it um, creates Bone a nice waterbed kind of... Feel to it. But yeah, he's very Ooh. scared. Quite comfortable. Uh, it turns out that someone we've already met is also at the dentist, aren't they, Frankie? Oh, yeah, well, I don't know if we mentioned Mrs. Maybelle Sainsbury Seal. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Maybelle Sainsbury Seal is also at the dentist. Uh, the, the dentist is called uh, Mr. Morley, Dr. Morley. I, that's the other thing as well. In the episode, they call him Mr. Morley. In the book, I think he was doctor. I don't think it really matters. I think maybe dentists aren't doctors. Whoa, is that a really controversial statement I've just made? I don't know. Apologies, dentist friends. We'll I've... call him Morley, Morley the dentist. Probably. Also, two dentists in two episodes in a row for us. Interesting. And both come to sticky ends. But either way, we're because going... We go I was going to say, either way, we're going to find the tooth. You know Laura <laughs> likes puns. I, I heard um... that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, we've seen Mr Morley 
or Dr. Morley before because he's the man in the grainy footage. He got shot in the head at the beginning, which is a really strange choice when you see him mm. operating on Poirot. You're like, well, he's well, he's going to die. We know he's going to die yeah. because we've seen him being shot in the head. Anyway, um, Maybell Sainsbury Seal is also at the... Don't you think? It's just a really strange thing to put at the beginning just because they wanted to make it a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they did that really. Kind of, yeah, showed the hand a bit. On that one. Mm. I guess it's just to give, to throw, yeah, add a bit of confusion into the mix, but it is very strange. Miss Sainsbury Seal is at the dentist anyway, and she's leaving and she makes another appointment to see Dr. Morley at 11.45am on the 6th of August. And you may wonder why I was very specifically telling you <laughs> the date of the appointment. Dates of appointments do actually play a big part of um, yeah. the mystery in this, but we'll get to that For in a sure. bit. As she's leaving the dentist, she encounters a car pulling up to the curb and out gets Mr. Blunt, uh, the man who married her friend back in India. So she stops him and talks to him. It's Alistair Blunt, isn't it? Yes. You don't remember me, Maybell. Maybell Sainsbury Seal. I was your wife's friend. Yes. Yes, of course I remember you. Um, I'll see you at home later then, Jane. It was an India, if you remember. Gerda and I were on tour together. I've only just come back after all these years. I've been doing work for the Zanana missions, you know. Well, it's wonderful to see you again, Miss Sainsbury Seal. It really is, but I have... I'd love to see Gerda again. Blunt can't get away from her quick enough, it seems. He's a villain. Oh, God. And she, Miss, we should talk a bit about Miss Sainsbury Seal for a second, because she seems very Mm. sweet. I would say she's the 1930s female equivalent of Tim Nice But Dim a bit. Like, she's very like, oh, gosh, and isn't this lovely? And, oh, very sweet. I've known a lot of ladies like that. And super lovely. Wouldn't say boo to a goose type, Mm. but quite mousy and probably isn't. Yeah, nervy and also probably not the best at reading uh, social cues, I would say, (laughs) where someone's like, okay, Mm. Go away now, Maybell. She doesn't yeah. really get that. So he basically tries to lose her as quickly as he can and get inside. But Poirot sees the whole interaction. So, mm. of course he does, because he's, he's totally Poirot. She's like one of these classic sort of maiden aunts. She's a bit fussy and she's mm. a little bit socially anxious and she's getting on a bit. She's like a Victoria Wood creation, isn't she? She's yeah. Like sort of acorn antiques. But she's very distinctive anyway. And she, um, she goes from this scene, having you know sort of tried to find out what's happened to Gerda. Maybe I could meet up with Gerda. That'd be fantastic. We then cut to the hotel. She goes back to the hotel. She encounters a man at the desk called Mister Amberiotis. And the names in this episode. Brought... <laughs> I know. <laughs> he presents her with a hot water bottle because apparently, on their way over on the boat, they met and Mister Amberiotis. Had a bad tooth stroke. Miss Sainsbury Seal lent him her hot water bottle and he is returning it. And she says, you know, you should go and see my guy. Mr. Ambriotis. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't recognise you for a moment. How nice. I came to return this. Oh, what must you think? This gentleman and I were on the boat coming back from India together. I lent him my hot water bottle when he had a toothache. <laughs> That's the thing. She seems really lovely and sweet and, and caring. And she's one of those, I think also one of those women, because she's quite a lot, 
uh, is a bit starved for attention. So whenever she gets the opportunity to talk about her life and her history, and oh, I, I bumped into an old friend today as well, and oh, when I used to be an actress and things, and she really makes the most of those opportunities. But Mr. Ambriotis yeah. is ve- Mr. Ambriotis is really interested in what she has to say, uncharacteristically interested in her stories. Then he goes off and we see him make the most intense dialing of a rotary phone I've ever seen anybody do. Uh, he looks <laughs> very serious. Uh, while Mr. Amberiotis goes off and makes his very intense phone call that took him about three hours to dial, Miss Sainsbury Seal arrives at a place called Litchfield Court, which is beautiful Art Deco symmetry perfection all the way across. Like It's a really stunning little housing area. She goes up to the door of a Mrs. Chapman and she apparently is meeting Gerda, who apparently opens the front door that she greets her, but we don't see Gerda. We just see her coming to the door. Gerda, after all these years. We're not going to be able to talk about coming events anyway without, yeah. I guess, spoiling by describing what's happening in scenes. But anyway, she knocks on the door and you see a side shot of you know, the door opening and she says, Gurdon goes into the apartment and the that's door That's all we see. Gurdon. Yeah, that's all we see. Anyway. Well, straight away it gets a bit weird after that because the next mm. thing we see is back at Miss Sainsbury Seal's hotel, we see the bellhop is taking all of her belongings that's right. out of her yeah. room because apparently she's called and asked for them to be sent to a different hotel, which, by the way, I didn't know hotels did that sort of thing. That would be really helpful. Like, can you just take my stuff away and do something with it? Yeah, could you That'd move also- house for me? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I think back then you could do that sort of thing. What a dream. So, uh, yeah, so already something a bit weird's going on here, but we don't know what. Quick recap of events. Um, Back in India, Maybell, Sainsbury Seal and Gerda were best friends in an acting troupe. Gerda left to marry Mr. Blunt. Turns out that Mr. Blunt and Miss Sainsbury Seal have the same dentist because a chance meeting outside brings them back together and she asks about Gerda. Then we see that Miss Sainsbury Seal has befriended a man named Mr. Amberiotis whose very sort of interest is piqued when she mentions that she ran into an old friend, Mr. Blunt, this afternoon and he makes a sinister phone call. Then Miss Sainsbury Seal shows up at a hotel door which is apparently answered by Gerda and then we find that she is moving in with Gerda at this literal court place. So that's kind mm. of where we're at at the moment in terms of events. Yes. Um, we're back at the dentist again, and Miss Morley, Mr. Morley, the dentist, is whining about his staff to his sister, Georgina. <laughs> it's his assistant, Gladys, that uh, is giving him particular troubles because she keeps phoning in sick from work, saying she can't come in today, or she's messing him about a bit. And it seems to be because she's fallen in love with Frank Carter. And here's our big name for the episode. Who plays Frank Carter, Frankie? <laughs> Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Which, when you when, when we did our last episode and you thought we were doing Hickory Dickory Dock, you must I not did, have yeah, got I the missed... joke I made when I said, it's an eck of an episode. I got this mixed up with Hickory Dickory Dock, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was the one where Damien Lewis was going to be in. I was like, oh, it's a big name. Another big name. So, <laughs> yes. Um, and I, yeah, I completely missed your joke because I was thinking... You laughed out of out of confusion or slash pity or both, uh, but thank you anyway for that. Yeah, Christopher Eccleston. 
Yeah, Chris Ferguson's here. Um, <laughs> he plays Frank Carter. He's uh, in love with Gladys, who is the assistant to Morley, the dentist. And we find out that Frank Carter is one of, as Dr. Morley calls them, the black shirt mob. So that's, the, for those of you who don't know, British Union of Fascists, led by Oswald Mosley. Love? She's a cut above him, I should hope. You know he's in with that black shirt mob. Anyway, she shouldn't let it affect her efficiency as my secretary. Let her fall in love in her own time. It's very strange because we, we see a scene later on where mm. he's there, sort of like what you can only assume is the, the BUF picnic in a park where they're just sort of, you know, having a big rally sort of thing with the black armbands Going on and a march. And, and it's wild to think this was happening. But obviously before Hitler rose to dominance, people were like, oh, fascism's the way forward. And it was an accepted sort of social set to be You're in. acting very as weird. if that's not happening Today, still. No, I, I'm, what I'm saying is, isn't, yeah. it, isn't it weird to, oh, to yeah. have that in, in the middle of Hyde Park? You know, they just sat there with a having a picnic, and fascism, fascism was on the rise, and it was a genteel sort of social activity yeah. to do. You, you used to have black shirts appearing at dinner parties at palatial homes, and everything. it's just so weird. Um, culminated. Yeah in this thing called the Battle of Cable Street, where Mosley led thousands of his men into the central London to, to bully immigrants, basically, and they yep. bullied him back. They booted him out, and that was kind of the start of fascism's, you know, everyone's like, ooh, actually, it's not a very nice thing to be a, a part of. Yeah, but these yeah, th- these very, people very still wrong. exist, is what I'm saying, even today. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, yeah. it's never going <laughs> away. It's terrifying. It? We you would have thought after World War II that people would have gone, right, that's it for fascism, yeah? But the no. fact that people are now... You're Nazi saluting. Polite society just goes to prove what awful things human beings are. Yeah, you know how certain th- certain trends just come back around, like flares or bell bottoms or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Fascism, guys. It's pretty pretty much on the rise. Awful, awful, awful stuff and really horrible to see in this episode, especially when Poirot's there at the watching it kind of happen. It's a, oh, it's just gross. Mm. Oh, it's, it's weird as well because... Uh, apart from Morley the dentist saying, oh, I don't like him because he's in with that black shirt mob. Mm. Like, no one really comments on it. Poirot doesn't yeah. go, why, you know, why why are you in this group? You know, what's the matter with you or anything like that? It's no. sort of like, oh, uh, you're Except having fun this. with your friends kind of thing. It's really weird. Yeah, the lifestyle uh, but choice. No but yes, <laughs> <laughs> awful. But Dr. Morley, yeah, he's complaining about his uh, assistant Gladys, as you said, who is dating Frank Carter because apparently she's not coming into work because her aunt is having a stroke. And she received a telegram saying that she's got to get over there. So uh, he's really annoyed. He assumes that she's lying because she's got this this bad boy boyfriend, the baddest of boys because mm. he's a fascist. Uh, and he, he doesn't, doesn't think he's telling the truth. But never mind, he'll get on with it. He's also got, we should talk about Mr. Morley's other staff, which is this funny, I learned that the male assistant character is called a page boy at the dentist. Didn't know that came outside of weddings, to be honest. So he's a page Same. boy. I, I know they have page page boys at hotels who sort of yeah. you know, run around Bell the lobby, pops. don't they? Thing. Um, they they sort of page people if there's a phone call and things like that. But yeah, I didn't Bell realize pop. that the term page boy describes so many professions. Who yeah. knew? Apologies to our professional page boys out there who are like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we've been paging you all for years. We've been on the same page. I do five, I do five <laughs> weddings a week. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're a professional page boy at weddings. They're all like 10, so 12 bored. years old. Like, I, I might just walk at my own pace. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do this 
goose stepping thing. Then they see these, they see these poor, they see these girls doing hopscotch outside, dreaming of a world where they could do hopscotch in front of a dentist's office. (laughs) But yes, we move on. Dentist. (laughs) Yes, Uh, Mr. Amberiotis. He's in bed and he's his tooth is really playing him up. He can't even eat anymore. So he's decided to take up Miss Sainsbury Seal on her kind offer of dentist recommendations, and he's planning to go and see. Morley the dentist. We cut to the morning of the 6th of August and these strands seem to be converging on the dentist, don't they? Yes. So we've got Christopher Eccleston who is annoyed because Morley the dentist has been warning Gladys, his assistant, that she shouldn't be with him. So he's Mm -hmm. turned up to the dentist and he's stamping around outside in sort of waiting room bits and on the stairs. Poirot has arrived and he's in the waiting room reading a magazine and he's noticed Christopher Eccleston who's turned up and is stamping around like an angry young man. There's a beautiful moment where the page boy comes to fetch <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Yes. Porritt. Mr. Porritt. Mr. Porritt. <laughs> but what I love is, in other episodes, Poirot would go, wow, or something really yeah. annoyed. In this one, he just lets it go. And He's it's too nervous. Funnier. <laughs> He's too nervous to think about that. And then he has to rearrange the newspapers because Frank Carter came in and like messed everything up. So he's on edge, poor old thing. Then we see Mr. Blunt, who is uh, in a meeting and he tells a colleague that he's got to go because he's off to the dentist as well. So Poirot has his treatment and he is told by Morley that... Mr. Blunt's coming in soon, and uh, Poirot remarks, Mr. <laughs> um, We'll get your treatment finished today, Mr. Poirot. <laughs> no, as I was saying, the important people, they're always on time. Now, I've got a most important man coming this morning, hmm? Mr. Alistair Blunt. Alistair Blunt? Oh, yes. Always on time. I also love when when Morley's like, oh, he's so down to earth. He sends his Rolls Royce back and he walks back to the office. What a down to earth average Joe, Mr. Blunt is. What an average I always send my Rolls away. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so Poirot retrieves his hat and gloves from the waiting room, sees that Frank Carter and Blunt are there in the waiting room together, and goes outside. Now, do you want to describe what happens when he reaches the outside, Frankie? Because this is one of the moments in this episode that made me go, what? So Hello. this is where, this is, in theory, the whole reason why this episode is called One, Two, Buckle My Shoe, right? Because Poirot mm, yeah. steps out the front of the dentist office, a car pulls up in front and a we see a lady's foot step out of the car. We look very close up on that. And it's a very fancy uh-huh. buckled shoe on a very delicate little dainty foot. Uh, but the buckle on it promptly gets knocked off. Poirot, mm-hmm. being the gentleman that we know him to be, rushes to her side and retrieves it for the lady. And then she drops a bloody handbag. She's all over the place. But uh, the implication <laughs> is that this lady... Is meant to be <laughs> Miss Sainsbury Seal. So kind. Not at all, madame. Oh, oh dear. Thank you. You are welcome, madame. Thank you so much. Because she's wearing the same type of clothes as Miss Sainsbury Seal. She's got the kind of strawberry blonde Albany hair of Miss Sainsbury Seal. And mm-hmm. she's got the nervous, twitchy bird manner, bird-like manner of her being like, oh, oh, so kind. Oh, like flitty kind of anxious energy around her. And he hands her the buckle, he hands her the bag, and she's like, oh, thank you, so kind. 
And then she goes inside and we learn that she's Miss Sainsbury Seal. Yeah, she introduces herself as Miss Sainsbury Seal. Now, even the myopic amongst us will know that that is not Miss Sainsbury Seal. The moment is not played as if, dun-dun-dun, this woman isn't her. It's just played as normal. She gets out the car, she apologises, she introduces herself, hey, Miss Sainsbury Seal. And it's so obviously not her. It's like... It's, I would love to hear, and I know we have a couple of face blind listeners that said that they have not been tricked or fooled. Did you did you notice this? Because I don't understand with this episode what the point That's of that it. is. Is that mm. to make the the viewer at home be go? Oh, okay, something's not right here. That's clearly yeah. not Miss Sainsbury Seal. Uh, is it giving a massive leg up to us as the amateur sleuths at home watching this to go right? I understand where this is going here. Or did they think her impersonation and the hair and makeup was so good that no one would notice a difference when we just spent so many scenes clearly looking at Miss Sainsbury Seal's real face at the beginning Mm. of the episode? Like they zoomed close on her the whole time. So we've seen her really clearly and now we clearly see this isn't mm. her. So I don't understand. What do you think is going on here? I think people will probably watch it and go, well, you, obviously you're not supposed to think it's Miss Sainsbury Seal, but I think you are. I think you're supposed to think, oh, there's that <sighs> woman from earlier on. The, the problem is as well, we're only 20 minutes in at the moment. So, yeah. Um, and we've spent 15 minutes with Miss Sainsbury Seal. Yeah, you know her very I mean, well. I won't, <laughs> I, yeah, I won't spoil it. But the woman who gets out the car, we've seen her too. I won't spoil it, but it's so obviously that person Yep. that the whole episode from now on is on one track. You know exactly what's happening. Correct. So for them to spend another hour and 20 minutes inexorably dragging you slowly towards a solution that you know at 20 minutes in is yep. really strange. Not I don't also, know why they've done it. Also, not to spoil too much, not only once, but twice do we get this in mm. this episode. Either they think everybody is incredibly stupid and doesn't pay any attention to people's faces <laughs> when they've been shoving them in our face from the beginning of the episode, or... We're meant to be in it and they're trying to say, look, we know you're going to be able to solve this one. Let me make it really bloody easy for you to see where this is going. I don't know. Listeners at home, I would love to know what you think about this. Please do message us on socials and stuff because Please I'm do. Yeah. very confused by this one. And because I, because surely if we weren't meant to know that this isn't Miss Sainsbury Seal anymore, why did they show mm. so much of them before? Or why are we seeing so much of the new Miss Sainsbury Seal? Why are we not just seeing the side of her face or the back of her head or whatever? So we wouldn't have known necessarily that it wasn't Miss Sainsbury Seal. Why even show the scenes with Miss Sainsbury Seal before yeah. this? Yeah. Like, what do they serve? All that we know is that she's a dotty old woman. We don't get anything. If they turn the India bits and mm. then cut to this bit where she got out of the car. Yeah. And then you find out that Mr. Ambiriotis had been recommended by Miss Sainsbury Seal to come to the Wouldn't, surely, wouldn't that have solved every issue? Because there's no other, there's no reason for you to have followed Miss Sainsbury Seal in that, the beginning where she makes the appointment. And she goes to the hotel and gets a hot water bottle. Yeah. Back. It would have made it a mystery. Instead, now we're going, right, so that's not her and mm-hmm. it's obviously her dressed as her yep so not once but twice so, because we're gonna have that again not in once a minute. but twice yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and um, but, and uh it's mm. 
uh, one of the, another story again where it works. It would work in a book. It would work in a book. Yeah, absolutely. Very well. Working in a book or better handle. The, the the odd thing is, um, it sounds like all we're doing is ragging on episodes at the moment. No, don't mean to, but so many of them at the moment seem to depend on makeup effects or some kind of directorial choice that will mask the villain. Like it, it was handled very very well in Death in the Clouds. I yeah, commented on it last week. I mean, you know, I didn't get no. at all that her daughter no, was either. also the lady on the plane. I didn't notice that at all. But then there are glaringly bad ones like this yeah. and Hunter's Lodge, where you just think. Oh no no no! Yeah, <laughs> how I don't. Um, yeah, so you just—it's confusing more than anything because you're like, what is yeah. the motive? What is the motive behind presenting it this way? Is it that they want us to, yeah. to have solved it by now? Because as you say, we've still got the bo- the murder's not even happened yet. We've got the bulk of the episode to go. I'm going to quickly rattle through the next few minutes of yes. what happens because um, this is something else I want to come back to because okay, no, it's not just that. It's just it's something else I need to talk about, but I can't mention it quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this Miss Sainsbury Seal, I'm doing an inverted Quotes. quote marks with my fingers. Um, she gets out, she goes in for her appointment. Mr. Amberiotis then turns up at the dentist and is shown into the room for his appointment. Another patient at the dentist, uh, it's a lady, she kicks off and she's very angry at the page boy about how long she's been waiting for her appointment. Yeah. And basically what happens is when you've had your appointment with uh, Morley, the dentist, you get shown in one door through the, you know, the, the main the lift. lift, but you're shown out. Yes, and you get shown out down the stairs, so you lead on on your own. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, all of these clients have been going into the dentist and leaving of their own accord. But this last woman of the day, she's been waiting for so long now, she's super oh. furious, so she tells the page boy to, you know, she, she won't stand for it. So he goes and knocks on the door, gets no response. He goes in and he finds the dentist dead. And there's this big moment, oh my God, the dentist is dead. Now, here's the other thing I want to mention. We knew 20 minutes ago that the dentist was going to die. Yes. And it's, is this just the most cack-handedly constructed episode or something? I, I don't understand. It's like, so weird because they went, you know, oh, we know we wanted to chill some spine. You could have done without that silly, grainy, back on my show weirdness at the beginning. This episode should have been 10 minutes long by this point, not 25 minutes long. This is a similar to Death in the Clouds, I think. Similar problem. Mm. There's too much and there's too, too many opportunities for glaring errors to be really br- blindingly glaring <laughs> like this. Yeah. Like So, yeah, yeah. it's... Very weird, very weird choice. Not sure. I'd love to speak to the director and ask why why it was done this way. Not in a, as you say, and it's, it sounds like we're we're ragging on it really hard. I enjoy this episode for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, me and too. We'll talk about. I those. enjoy it as well, and I think all the Jap stuff and Poirot stuff is fantastic. Yeah. And I think the mysteries are actually really clever. Very but clever. All of these problems, all of these problems that yeah, were highlighted at the moment, it. they're not. They're not Agatha Christie's fault. Like, no. Death in the Clouds, there was just a lot of story and they chose to include it all. In this, it's a directorial choice. Someone said, no, we need to show the murder happening over two minutes of nursery rhymes at the beginning for some reason. And it's like, yeah. you know, Agatha Christie didn't write that prologue. Certain no. directors decided to make that stylistic <laughs> choice. And this whole, you know, this Sainsbury Seal thing at the beginning is just bizarre when you see it. No. It's so weird. Uh- Imagine anyway. if in the book of One Two Buckle My Shoe, Agatha Christie had written, please imagine the music sung by the creepiest <laughs> fake children you've ever heard. <laughs> and you better have some hopscotch and children in there, so help me Christ, at every interval. <laughs> One, two, Freddy's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only instance where I think it worked. I wonder if that, that whole Freddy Krueger nursery rhyme thing 
had been in the director's mind when he oh that worked really well in that horror just film just saw it it did work in the horror film but also we weren't trying to hide mm. Freddy Krueger's identity <laughs> 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 or that he was going to kill people it was kind of a given uh, but yeah you're right anyway instantly good good news everyone Jap of the Yard is on the scene with Poirot and instantly oh, yeah. Jap is like this is suicide because poor old Mr Morley's lying on the floor holding a gun and he's got a gunshot wound to his head that's pretty visible. Revolver grasped in lifeless fingers. Doesn't seem to be much doubt about it, does there? It has to be suicide. You sit down quiet. All right, you can move him now. So, tell me, Chief Inspector Jap. Lived upstairs with his sister. Hasn't been moody or depressed. I wondered if you'd noticed anything when you saw him this morning. Nothing at all. He was, what shall I say, normality itself. We find out that the body was discovered at 1.30pm. Nobody heard the gunshot. Uh, but the patient he saw before uh, he was killed, presumably, was Mr Amberiotis, who left yeah, 12 at 12.25. Yeah. So, yeah, that yeah. was the window for the murder to the murder to have taken place. So it must have taken place between 12.25 when Mr Amberiotis left and 1.30. So that's their time and that's what they're working with. Um, and Japs, as you say, convinced it's suicide. But after questioning Morley's sister, she says, no way would he commit suicide. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's quite incredible to me that my brother should have committed suicide. He'd been quite his usual self, had he, madam? Not upset in any way? He was annoyed. He had a busy day in front of him and his assistant had received a telegram to say her aunt had had a stroke. She left for Yorkshire by an early train. And your brother? He was annoyed at this? Well, the fact is, his assistants got engaged to a rather unsuitable young man. Gladys is back on the scene, isn't she, after yes. uh, um, having said that she was called away to see her aunt. Turns out she wasn't called away to see her aunt. Her aunt was fine. She turned up there and um, someone has been pranking her. The whole thing was a wicked practical joke. There wasn't anything wrong with auntie at all. She couldn't understand it when I suddenly turned up. Are you quite sure it wasn't your friend, Mr Carter, who sent this telegram? Frank? Whatever for? Oh, I see what you mean. I'll put up job between us. We wouldn't do a thing like that. Poirot asks Gladys who Mr Morley was scheduled to see that morning. Now, this is kind of important. So I would say, in terms of clues, you're going to want to listen to this bit. At 10 o'clock, Mrs Soames, about her new plate. 10.30, Lady Gregson. She's an elderly lady. 11 o'clock, Mr Hercule Poirot. Well, that's you, isn't it? 11.30, Mr Alistair Blunt. You know, the banker. Then Miss Sainsbury Seal. She's just back from India. Twelve o'clock, Mr. Amberiotis. Uh, he was a new patient. Made his appointment from the Astoria Hotel. And 12.30, Mrs. Pinner. She comes up from Worthing. Ten o'clock, Mrs. Soames about her new plate. 10.30, Lady Gregson. She's an elderly lady. Eleven o'clock, Hercule Poirot. So, uh, or Mr. Porritt. So he, <laughs> we were in on that appointment and we know that Morley was alive by then. So you can ignore the other two. Let's just say it starts with Poirot at 11. Then 11.30, Mr. Alistair Blunt. Uh, 11.45, Miss Sainsbury Seal. Yes. Quote, unquote. Uh, with, the finger, with the finger gun. Um, 12 o'clock, Mr. Ambiriotis. 
and 12.30, Mrs. Pinner, who never got in to see him, right? She was the one who'd been waiting out there for an hour and um, got, you know, annoyed. So there we go. 11 o'clock, Poirot. 11.30, Alistair Blunt. 11.45, Miss Sainsbury Seal. And 12 o'clock, Mr. Ambiriotis. Yes, and so now we're going to get down into why Jap's here in the first place, which Poirot asks him, why are you here in the first place? Uh, because... You know, if it's an apparent suicide, surely there's not much investigation. But the whole point of Mr. Blunt being there is is a significant issue. I think we didn't really talk about enough earlier. When I said that Mr. Blunt is a massive banker, there's he is a massive banker and he's massive in the banking world, but mainly banking. And he, uh, because of uh, his status, it, 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 he's very well known and he's got a lot of enemies, apparently. So there is the potential that this murder of Mr. Morley, the intended target, was actually Mr. Blunt. So Jap's been asked to investigate that to see if that is indeed a possibility and find out what's been going on. Because, as we say, we um, Jap tells Poirot a bit more about Blunt and he holds the controls the Arnholt interest in Europe. The Arnholt is a very wealthy family that we're going to hear more about later as well, as well as merchant banks. And he married into that family. So he is a big dog. Tell me something about Monsieur Blunt, Chief Inspector. Alistair Blunt. He controls all the Arnholt interests in Europe, as well as the merchant banks. He married into the family. We won't spend too long with him. I want to get onto the Astoria. As it stands at the moment, this Mr. Amberiotis was the last person to see Mr. Morley alive. We then meet Julia Oliveira and her daughter Jane. Mm. We met Jane briefly uh, earlier on when Miss Sainsbury Seal met Mr. Blunt outside the dentist. She was in the car, basically. Yes. Uh, Jane is very young and beautiful, and she is Mr. Blunt's niece. Mm -hmm. Um, Mr. Blunt was married to Julia Oliveira's sister, and her daughter Jane is his niece and they're super super rich and it's kind of how he made his fortune wasn't it which instantly throws up the question what happened to Gerda um, indeed uh, from earlier on in the story but that mm. kind of explains the reaction that Miss Sainsbury Seal got when she collared Mr Blunt earlier when he got out of the car because you know he's there with his his dead wife's niece isn't he in the in the car and yep. here's this lady who's coming up saying oh where's Gerda where you know what happened to Gerda blah 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 um so it kind of explains why he was like you know go away leave me alone kind of thing yeah you know, that's part of my past I don't There's want to bring that up in front of my awkwardness family. yes indeed mm-hmm. but then after they've spoken to the Oliveras. Uh, they go to see Mr. Amberiotis, who Jap is itching to speak to because he's the last person to have seen Mr. Morley alive. They arrive at his hotel, the Astoria, uh, and there's a great exchange where Jap is on full Jap mode when he's like, I'd like to see Amberiotis. He's like, we can't. He's like, uh, yes, I can, my lad. When my lad comes <laughs> out, you know Jap is in the zone. We'd like to see Mr. Amberiotis. I'm sorry, sir. I'm afraid you can't. Oh, yes, I can, my lad. Police. Uh, you don't understand, sir. Mr. Ambriotis died half an hour ago. We find out pretty quickly from the pathologist that the Mr. Ambriotis died of heart failure brought about by an overdose of adrenaline and Novocaine. And where do you get adrenaline and Novocaine from, Adam? At a dentist, Frankie. You do. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, the implication here is that Mr. Amberiotis was given some kind of fatal dose of something while he was at the dentist. That leads to Jap saying, well, maybe Morley accidentally gave him an overdose, figured out what he had done and killed himself mm-hmm. to avoid facing the music. What a washout. What do you mean, Chief Inspector? Morley makes a mistake and injects an overdose. Then when Amberiotis is gone, he realises what he's done, can't face the music and shoots himself. With a pistol he is not known to possess? Relations don't know everything. No, that is true, of course. Well, there we are then. Oh, but Adam, can you please talk about when Jaff and Poirot sit down with Miss Sainsbury Seal to question her? Committed suicide? Mr Morley? Poor man. I suppose he had something on his mind. Such worrying times we live in. Did he seem worried to you? Miss Sainsbury said. Well, I I can't really say you know that he did. Can you tell us who else was in the waiting room while you were there? Let me see. There was just one young man there when I went in. I think he was in pain because he was muttering to himself and looking quite wild. And then suddenly he jumped up and went out. And he was the only other patient that you noticed? A gentleman came down the stairs and went out, just as I went up to Mr Morley. Oh, and I remember, a very peculiar foreigner came out of the house, just as I arrived. <clears throat> that was I, madame. I love the fact that she uh, sick burns Poirot without realising. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's... But that, that is, is, like, to be fair to the person playing Miss Sainsbury Seal, she's got her mannerisms down. She's got the yeah. act down and she's saying stuff that we all know to be true because she's talking about when she was an actress and in India mm. and all this kind of thing. Everything is correct, apart from the fact it's not Miss Ainsbury Seal. No. <laughs> so uh. it's, apart from uh. that, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem. I don't think we're spoiling it either. I don't think people no, are going to go, not. I didn't get that at all because... um. It's like agonizingly obvious, isn't it? Because even at this Not point, her. even even at this point, we don't learn anything from Miss Sainsbury Seal to move the plot forward. So Jap could have come to Poirot and been like, oh, I chatted to that Miss Sainsbury Seal. Oh God, she's a talker, isn't she? She told me this. They need to show her again another opportunity to identify her as not Miss Sainsbury Seal. <laughs> Very weird choice. Don't know why they did it. But there we are. But I did love when they finished talking to her when Jap is like, blimey. Because <laughs> she is a talker, that's for sure. Yeah. While all this excitement's been going on, they're kind of looking into a bit more in the background of uh, Blunt and finding out more about him. We find out that Mrs. Sainsbury, Miss Sainsbury Seal has gone missing and no one has seen her since Tuesday. So dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 question mark? Uh, yes. Dun, dun, dun. But they decide to search her room <laughs> anyway. And in it, notably, Poirot it starts going through her stuff and he finds a pair of stockings. Not the first time a pair of stockings has been a useful clue in an Agatha Christie mystery. A Christie. Mm. Uh, so Poirot points out they are stockings, a 10-inch cheap silk, price probably two shillings and 11 pence. And I love that Jap's like, we're not valuing for probate, Poirot. But... It's an important observation that we'll, we'll mention again later. Poirot gets back to Whitehaven and Gladys is waiting for him. They have a really good chat and she basically says that she's a bit concerned about Frank Carter 
Uh, he's a bit jealous. He thought she'd gone off for the day with someone else that day that he came to the dentist. But he's got a new job. So things are looking up. £10 a week in some sort of government department, all very mysterious and shadowy. But Juarez, like, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet this Frank Carter. I'm fed up with hearing about Morley's death, to be quite honest. There wasn't anything so wonderful about him that I could see. Tell me, Monsieur Carter, why were you in Harley Street that day? I saw you there in the waiting room. All right. I was going to tell Morley that this business of putting Gladys against me had gone on long enough. That I'd landed a good job and that it was about time she handed in a notice and thought about a trousseau. But you did not actually tell him these things. I got fed up with waiting in that dingy mausoleum, so I left. At what time did you leave? I can't remember. I've got to get going. The march will be starting soon. It has been a great pleasure to meet you, Monsieur Carter. As we talked about, at the lovely, wholesome family day out by a bandstand <laughs> with the black shirts. The black shirt. The black, shirt. black shirts on parade. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a black shirt barbecue in the park. Lovely family time. <laughs> It is very It's so weird. Um, it is. Anyway, so it just you know he tells Poirot about this new job he's got and that he's only back on you know he only gets one day off a week. Or, With a surly but, um, character, isn't he? Yeah, he's a bit he's a bit grumpy. He's a bit you know he hasn't done much to improve his uh, standing in Poirot's eyes. He's just you know no. he's an angry young man. But um, what I love is the next off. scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So Poirot decides to visit Jap at his <gasps> homestead. Jap's gardening. <sighs> I love oh I love the scenes of Jap. Jap at home. Madam Jap, she is not at home? No, no. Some blessed meeting. Women's Institute, parish council or something, I don't know. Do you take sugar, Poirot? Do you have perhaps a tisane? Come off it, Poirot. This is Isleworth, you know, not Juanle Pan. Now, this isn't the only time we'll see Japs home in the Poirot series. There is a beautiful episode coming very soon in which Jap cooks for Poirot at his house. Can't wait to get to that So good. But uh, for now, Jap invites Poirot in for a cuppa. (laughs) <laughs> oh and bless him he really tries but uh Poirot is not impressed with the tea at all uh but it is amazing uh just worth it yeah. to see jap is he wearing like a little like white vest and braces like i'm, I'm into that it's nice you get all pink of cheek <laughs> maybe a little i have to save that for when we do speak to philip i'll have to be on my best behavior he's all man isn't he <laughs> and i like that in my men as we've said, a quote from Naked Gun. Anyway, uh, right. Then we go back to Blunt's office, well, Poirot does anyway, where he finds the Oliveras again, Jane and Julia. But we also see a little bit more of Blunt's assistant, Miss Montresor, Helen Montresor. She's, uh, she wishes she was Miss Lemon. That's all I'm saying. Mr. Poirot to see you, Mr. Blunt. Thank you, Helen. Monsieur Poirot, it's very good of you to come. Monsieur Blunt. Well, if you are going to talk horrors, I shall leave. Allow me. I'll see you at home, Jane. Uh, You've met Miss Oliveira, I think? Oh, yes, indeed, mademoiselle. Please, 
Thank you. I hope I haven't asked you here on a wild goose chase, Mr. Poirot. It's about this missing woman that the papers are full of, Miss Sainsbury Seal. Yes. Jane, I'm sure this is utterly unimportant. Why we are wasting Monsieur Poirot's time, I really don't know. If you please, Monsieur Blunt, allow Poirot to decide. Well, Sainsbury Seal is such a pompous name, that's why I remember. It was the last time Uncle Alistair went to the dentist. Well, I don't mean the other day, I mean about a week ago. I was with him, and we stopped in Harley Street, and just as he got out, a woman came out of the dentist, a middle-aged woman with fussy hair and rather dowdy clothes. What comes out of this scene, basically, is Jane, she's kind of wanted to see Poirot to say that this Miss Sainsbury seal that you're looking for has gone missing. Mm. I saw her on, you know, the morning that I arrived at the dentist with my uncle. I remember her coming up to him and saying, you know, where, you know, where's Gerda and all this kind of thing. She's been wanting to get it off her chest for a little while. And so Poirot says, oh, well, thank you very much. It's very nice to know. We then go to um, a very important scene uh, back at Litchfield Court. If you remember, Litchfield Court is the site. Miss Sainsbury Seal with no finger guns. She turned up there earlier on to the <laughs> hotel the OG. at the beginning of the episode. Yes, and the door opened and she went, good, and she went inside and then apparently had her stuff moved over there. Well, the old guy that showed her up and sort of pointed out the right apartment to, to go and knock on, he notices an article in the paper saying that Miss Sainsbury Seal is missing and says oh, that's the name that that lady gave me at the beginning of this episode when i showed <laughs> up to the very apartment. self-referential of him very meta <laughs> yes he knows a fictional construct anyway he calls the police uh, and they bust the door down uh, they instantly sort of flinch at some kind of odor don't they and um, they're searching through the flat and they find a trunk in the box room and open it and inside we see it's a very good image actually i really like the whole image yeah very haunting that's this... the scariest part yeah yeah well unfortunately the the, the chill of it is taken off by the <laughs> recurring theme of ah! <laughs> yeah we see the buckled foot <laughs> Basically, yes. yeah. A shoe, yeah, it's a foot with a buckled shoe sticking out. At this point, Frankie, first time you saw this episode, what yes. are you thinking? Who, who, who's that in the trunk? Well, obviously, it's the OG Miss Sainsbury Seal, isn't it? What did you um, think? Well, yeah. <laughs> I just wonder... <laughs> Are we supposed to not think that is her? Well, they we we there's a bit of doubt cast on it shortly, but that was instantly the, the thought I had. I'm pretty sure it's a thought that every single person watching would have had as well, because the shoe is mm. such a big thing, and it's the title of the episode, so it's gonna be something. But yeah, anyway, we'll talk about that more mm. in a minute. Uh, yeah, I, comes I think, in. Yeah. yeah. He gets, yeah. he gets, he arrives, doesn't he? Um, and he instantly notices a very significant fact about the foot sticking out of the trunk. Yep. Yep. And he looks around, he looks around the apartment, which apparently is owned by Mr. and Mrs. Chapman, who we've never seen, don't know much about them, but he has to go through that stuff. We also find out that Miss Sainsbury Seal and Mrs. Chapman go to the same dentist, Mr. Morley. What are the chances? <laughs> Uh, and he looks through her stuff and we also we get a good look at, he literally takes the shoe off the corpse's foot which is pretty mm. hardcore 
because yeah. I think rigor mortis had definitely set in at this point. It was quite difficult. There's a lovely detail as well where the, yeah. when Japan Poirot arrived, the, the policeman or the old man who let them in is yeah. in the bathroom. You can hear him being sick because he's seen the body. So the implication is that his body is in an advanced state of decay and obviously the smell has... every All the constables are all sort of holding their nose. Permeated. And, um, yeah. So the, the implication is that this box is basically full of goo uh, with clothes on it and this foot is sort of sticking out of this quagmire of what used to be a human body and yeah. Poirot sort of goes up sort of grabs the foot and wrenches the shoe off like, yeah and not <laughs> not only is the body in an advanced state of decay we also find out that the face has been horribly disfigured it's not particularly pleasant why would that have happened I wonder goodness only knows indeed so there's um, an inquest as to cause of death in the body uh, that, that's, that's found in the trunk. John Leatheran, a dentist, is giving evidence in court. He's taken over Morley's dental practice at Harley Street and he is asked to identify the body of Miss Sainsbury Seal from her dental records. He stands up in court in her in- at her inquest and says, it's not Miss Sainsbury Seal. It is in what? fact... Sylvia Chapman's body. Now, Sylvia Chapman is the owner of the apartment in which this trunk was apparently found. Apparently, it's her body that's in the trunk, according to dental records. The police believe the body to be that of Miss Maybell Sainsbury Seal, who was a patient of Mr. Morley's. I see. You've inherited, as it were, the late Mr. Morley's patients. That's right, sir. And, of course, their dental records. Quite. And could you identify the body uh, from these records? I could, sir. It was not Miss Sainsbury Seal. It was Mrs. Sylvia Chapman, another patient of Mr. Morley's. And the Jap instantly thinks that Miss Sainsbury Seal is some sort of uh, evil genius and she's pulled a fast one and she's the one that murdered Sylvia and she's disappeared into thin air after doing so. But... We after that, we learn that Poirot has been invited to Mr. Blunt's fancy country house for the weekend. Uh, and he goes along there as their guest. He's there with the Oliveras. Uh, and they and Mr. Blunt's assistant, Helen, is also around that weekend too. And we learn from the conversation that Poirot has with Blunt that he believes that Miss Sainsbury Seal is dead. Because Mr. Blunt's like, go and find her. And Poirot is like, I'm, I'm fairly certain she's dead because of some new silk stockings that I discovered. I want you to find this woman, Sainsbury Seal. Alive or dead? You think she may be dead? I think she might be dead, yes. Why do you think so? Because of a pair of new silk stockings I discovered. <laughs> <laughs> You're an odd man, Monsieur Poirot. Oh, yes, I am. Very odd. That is to say, I am methodical, orderly and logical. And I do not like to distort facts to support a theory. So we've got Julia and Jane Oliveira out at the house with yep. Blunt. Blunt's assistant, Helen Montressa, she's there. And Julia is a bit miffed that... Miss Montressa is there. She's like, she doesn't want the help to be mm-hmm. associating with them when they're trying to enjoy their weekend, uh, you know, with, with Poirot. But uh, Blunt is quite insistent that he needs his assistant there. And then there's this scene in the garden, which is quite curious, isn't it? Uh, Poirot and Blunt are walking around the garden when suddenly a gunshot rings out. They're particularly good this year. And look at these here. Huh? Good God! You... 
Dr. Gunn. Was it me, I tell you? Oh, no, just shooting at the birds, I suppose. What's it I caught him right at it. I was just weeding the beds. I heard a shot, the gun fell right at my feet, I picked it up and this stupid cow jumped on me. Now then, Dunning, Dunbury, what is your name? His name is Frank Carter. You. You've had it in for me all along. I never fired that shot. He claims instantly that he did nothing to do with it. He didn't fire the gun. The gun just fell at his feet. And, you know, they're all staring at him. And Poirot says, well, who else could have done it? We're the only people here. And he is arrested for attempting to shoot Blunt, is what the charge is. Okay, so Poirot visits Frank Carter in the cell where he's being held. And uh, Frank tells him a story about what happened on the morning of the dentist's killing. And shall we let Frank describe what happened? He decides to take Poirot into his confidence. Very important because, you know, he he clams up at first. And then he realises Poirot will help him if he tells the truth. So he tells Poirot exactly what happened that morning. I did go in. I went up the stairs and waited above Morley's landing till I could be sure of getting him alone. Then a bearded gent came out and went down the stairs. I was just making up my mind to go. And another gent came out and went down the stairs too. I knew I had to be quick. I went along and nipped into his room without knocking. I was all set to have it out with him. But he was lying there, dead. And I could see the bullet hole in his head with a black crust of blood round him. It was cold. I knew I was in a jam then. They were going to say I'd done it. I hadn't touched anything except his hand and the doorknob. I wiped that with my handkerchief both sides as I went out. There was nobody in the hall and I let myself out and legged it as fast as I could. That's the truth. He was dead already. You've got to believe me. By telling me the truth, you have just saved yourself from being hanged. I don't see it. They're going to save my brother. Your story has confirmed what I knew to be the truth. You can leave it now to me. So Poirot seems to think that that evidence exonerates Frank Carter in some way. We're still slightly in the dark as to why. But if you think about the order of the appointments that happened on that day, maybe you can start to see the light coming through the clouds. Yes. Um, And then we've been gathered, haven't we, into Mm -hmm. a room where Poirot is uh, stood in the centre and about to deliver the solution to everything. Yeah, we're kind of there. So what, uh, like one hour 20? Sorry, it took us so long to get through it. But um, we, we, we had to stop for a rant. <laughs> <laughs> a few rants along the way. Yes. Adam, I'm going to ask you this time. What do mm. you think of this episode and what would you rate it? Now, this is the rare episode where I'm actually not going to give it a 10 in terms of production because I don't like the way this has been made, this episode at all. Yeah. It's really shoddy. Um, I think the mystery is great and I think it works on the page. So, Agatha, genius as ever i think it's a very clever one but i think unfortunately the makers of this one have really dropped the ball they've not only tried to turn it into some kind of horror 
story with the whole one two but they've copied this freddy i swear it must be freddy krueger <laughs> that they've gone oh that was sinister let's try putting that in an episode and they've over baked the whole one two buck on my shoe nursery rhyme into it it's in every 10 seconds it's just it becomes really annoying it's like we yep. get the episodes called one two buck on my shoe and why it's called that but you've really over egged the pudding i'm afraid the whole miss sainsbury seal thing is just beyond bizarre it's wacky it's like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. I think that could have been done so much better. If they chopped 15 yep. minutes out of the beginning and not yep. shown her until she steps out and her buckle breaks off, I think this whole episode would have been a totally different thing. They also show the dentist being murdered within the opening seconds and then he's murdered again 20 minutes. Oh, I don't understand that choice either. I think mm. it's really, really... It's like a jumble sale of an episode. It's like the guy that put this together or edited it or directed it has just really, really just messed it up totally i'm really disappointed with it so in terms of a rating goodness me nothing wrong with her mystery but the episode gets a a four yeah yeah i'm inclined to agree with you on all the points when you think back to some of the other episodes that have nursery rhyme titles like how does your garden grow like granted it's not the dance number the dance bop that one two buck on my shoe is but they had the implication of the nursery rhyme without hammering it to death in the face and making it really a parody of itself, really, with the it was really the, is. That's embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I I agree. And there's it's such a shame because usually the mystery is genius. It's really clever. And there's there's so it's such a well constructed crime, which we'll talk about after yeah. the music. Uh but everything, all of the the choices around it just weaken it so much. It's such a shame. Uh, so for me, it's, it was going to be a four as well, which it hurts my heart to, to do that. But mm. And what a shame. What a shame that it was done that way because it could have been so good if it was done really well because it is a ge- without trying to make it creepy. It's a haunting mystery like because it's a really dark plot. It's dark. Mm. See, like when we find out what happened in it, it's really dark and genuinely quite terrifying because going to the dentist is scary enough, if we're honest. No one likes the dentist, right? It's a pretty scary mm. place. You don't need hopscotch children to tell you that something bad can happen at the dentist. So, yeah, unfortunately, not not the best. And a bit of a shame to end this series on, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, they did three full-length episodes to make up this series. I mean, to kick it off with the ABC murders is like bold Oof. choice. Um, you know, because everything's going to suffer after that. Death in the Clouds wasn't bad. It was just no. very, it was way too long. Yep. And too, too baggy. This one is unfortunately, it's like someone gave it to a student who was trying to prove <laughs> it could make a film. And it, as you say, some of it comes off as parody. Yeah. The whole Miss Sainsbury seal, oh goodness me. When you see it, you can't possibly honestly think that anyone, anyone no. was going to fall for that. And the moment you see Miss Sainsbury seal with finger guns, step yep. out of the car and her buckle break, and you see who it is, you instantly know the solution. It's like, yeah, when Miss Sainsbury Seal arrives at Litchfield Court at the beginning, and the door opens, and she says, hello, Gerda. I mean, you've just Mm. basically told everyone... Yeah. It's so strange. So, so badly done. There's also (laughs) another part, which we haven't even started ranting about yet, which we will after the music, but there's another reveal in it. And you're like, yeah, Obviously, I got that the second that person was shown on the screen because, of course, really fascinating. 
But well, what did you think, listeners? Are we being too harsh? Are, are our face blind li- viewers uh, totally so shocked at this rant on our part? Please do let us know. You can email us at bonjour at the labors of hercule.com or you can message us on Instagram, Twitter, whatever you want. Uh, I'm really fascinated to hear if we're just exceptionally observant people or <laughs> if it was just an absolute clangor i suspect the latter well, i would say you know if you want to go away and solve it it's an hour 25 <laughs> when he sits them all down and starts to dole out the tenuma but if you have any kind of eyesight available to you you will have <laughs> known already <laughs> you might You'll have known know 20 why. minutes in who the yeah you might not know why that but honestly i mean the, the why that the why and the how are all that is left to entice you you know who it is hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Shall we just get into it? Enough of this now. Let's do it. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> See you after this thing. Au revoir. We're back. Hi. <laughs> Oh. Uh, right, so we quickly reveal who the perpetrator was. Go on. Well, it's a it's a duo, a, a terrible mm. twosome. We have Mr. Blunt, and I mean, do I do I say the real name or one of yeah, the various absolutely. characters which she portrayed in the episode? Gerda. It's Gerda. <laughs> it's Gerda. It's Gerda. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's so obvious. I mean, yep. for God's sake. Right, let's mm-hmm. quickly go through. Miss Sainsbury Seal turned up at the door. The door opened. I don't know why they didn't show the face, but anyway, she said, hello, Gerda, and walked yep. in. So Miss mm-hmm. Sainsbury Seal, who knew Gerda, has just been greeted by Gerda, because why else would she say hello, Gerda? So we know that Gerda has just met Miss Sainsbury Seal. Then we see the second Miss Sainsbury Seal arrive, have her buckle broken Gerda. off. And it's it's Gerda. We saw her 10 minutes before in India. We know it's her. Yep. So she's pretending to be Miss Sainsbury Seal. Why? Then, so she's definitely a villain. She's the yep. villain. Right? So we know that. We see her again as his mm-hmm. assistant, Helen Montresor, who the second, in, she was in the background of a shot. And I instantly went, oh, there's Gerda. <laughs> again. When Chief Inspector Jap summoned me to Litchfield Court because a body had been discovered, the first thing that I noticed was a shabby buckled shoe. Well? You have failed to appreciate the point, Monsieur Blunt. It was a shabby shoe. It was a well-worn shoe. But you see, Mademoiselle Saint-Brisil visited the apartment on the evening of the same day of the murder of Monsieur Morley. So in the morning, they were the new shoes. In the evening, they were the old shoes. I can't see why that's important. Eh bien, mademoiselle, Poirot does not like things he cannot explain. Madame Chapman took a size five in shoes. I knew that Mademoiselle saint Priscille wore a ten-inch stocking. That is to say, she took at least a size six in shoes. So I went back to re-examine the body. My idea was that the face had been disfigured to hide the fact that it really was the body of Madame Chapman dressed in the clothes of Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal. Mais non. The shoe on the body was size six. So it looked as if it was the body of Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal after all. 
But then why was the face so disfigured? By coincidence, the dentist of Mademoiselle saint Brisil was also the dentist of Madame Chapman, Monsieur Morley. But he was dead. However, the records, they would have still existed, huh? So the successor to Monsieur Morley would have been able to positively identify the body as that of Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal. And could you identify the body from these records? I could, sir. It was not Miss Sainsbury Seal. It was Mrs. Sylvia Chapman, another patient of Mr. Morley's. But if it was the body of Madame Chapman, why was she dressed in the clothes of Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal? An interesting problem, n'est-ce pas? So... I cast my mind back to the Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal whom I had met, whom the Chief Inspector Jeff had met. I used to be an actress. Just small parts, you know. Then I went on a world tour. And although everything about her and everything she said was in perfect accord with her given character, I am now convinced that the Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal whom we had met and the Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal who accosted you, Monsieur Blunt... You don't remember me, Maybell. Gerda and I were on tour together. They were not the same woman. You mean Miss Sainsbury Seal was murdered and someone else took over her identity? Precisément. I she, don't know if they yeah. thought that this actress was so unremarkable in her face that no one would notice. She's very pretty. She's a very attractive woman with a very mm. recognisable face. So obviously you're going to remember it and they show you it as you say loads when they're in India. I don't understand. We get Gerda at the beginning. We yep. get Gerda as Miss Sainsbury Seal. Then yep. we get Gerda as Miss Montressa wrestling the gun out of Christopher yep. Nicholson's hand. It's not like you, you're not going to see her and go, oh, no, wait a minute, this woman's new. Like, God, I've no. seen her face three times. <laughs> Different- no, oh, it's so it weird. It is genuinely baffling. And, I, as I'm not, and I'm not talking down on the actress who played mm. Gerda because she's a very good actress. She did embody the character of Miss Sainsbury Seal. Like she nailed the little mannerisms and the, the quirky energy and all that kind of thing. But she doesn't look like her because she's not her. <laughs> not her fault. <laughs> but I do, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating choice. Do you think we've mm. ranted about this enough? Should we do another half an hour? I think we have, yeah. I think we've, been, <laughs> we've, we've given our score. All right, do you want, should we talk about how the crime was committed? Yes, because it is clever. It is clever, yeah. Um, so God. Poirot went for his appointment at 11 o'clock, didn't he? Yes. And then 11.30 was Mr. Blunt. Now, Mr. Blunt had his appointment. And then after he was finished, he shot the dentist. He shot him with a, a science pistol. Morley fell down dead. Then Miss Sainsbury Seal the second, who's actually Gerda, arrived. They dragged the body away. Then Mr. Blunt put on the dentist's coat and Gerda uh, went through and swapped the dental records so that Miss Sainsbury Seal's dental records were mixed up with Miss Chapman's dental records so that later on, when Miss Sainsbury Seal's body is discovered with her face disfigured, they'll think it was Miss Chapman. Anyway, the whole point of them doing this was so that they could have Mr. Amberiotis in the dentist's chair because they found out that his appointment was at, you know, 12.05 till 12.25. So the point was they wanted to give him a lethal injection of Novocaine because he was blackmailing or wanted to blackmail Mr. Blunt because he found out that he was still married to Gerda even though he'd married into Jane and Julia's family. And, yep. you know, the Oliveras. Yeah, the Oliveras. He was, you know, had their fortune, basically. And his wife had died anyway, it doesn't matter. But the fact was, he was a bigamist and had married twice. All with Gerda's blessing. Gerda was married to 
blunt and yep. they were looking for ways to capitalize and make more money so what they did was with her blessing he went off and married into this rich family and you know became the heir to their fortune and Gerda and him have been together all this time she's been posing as his assistant Miss Montressor send him about his business Alistair Mr. Blunt's family stands four square behind him. I am very pleased to hear it, Madame Oliveira. But you see, when Monsieur Blunt married your sister, Mademoiselle Rebecca Anhold, he was not entirely honest with her, no, nor with her family. Because, as Monsieur Amberiotis learned from the real Mademoiselle Sainsbury Seal, Monsieur Blunt was already married. Look, there's no need for the rest of you to listen to any more of this. If you... No, 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 Monsieur Blunt. You were dazzled by the Arnold family, by the Vista. Not so much of wealth, but of power. And so dazzled were you that you deliberately committed a bigamy and your real wife acquiesced in the situation. Oh, what? Rot! What a fine portrait is this, Monsieur Blunt. Such a portrait would be to any boardroom an ornament. Monsieur Blunt standing beside his beloved wife, the former Mademoiselle Rebecca Arnholt. However, mesdames and messieurs, I have here in my pocket a certificate of marriage between Martin Alistair Blunt and an actress by the name of Mademoiselle Gerda Alexandra Grant. Dated April the 25th, 1925. And Mademoiselle Grant is still very much alive. Oh, yes. Indeed, she is in this very room. It's a clever one. It but, is. Um, my my yeah. main question with this mm. is, why didn't he just shoot Mr. Amberiotis? Yeah, why not? Who that- could have linked him? No one. I mean, they okay, they may have looked at the hotel record to say, oh, he phoned your office. He'd be like, oh, I didn't answer that. I don't know. Mm. The end. My other issue, this whole thing depends so much on all of these people suddenly finding themselves using the same dentist as well. Yeah. And plus, why did Miss Sainsbury Seal go to see Gerda at Litchfield Court? How? How, how, how did she find happen? the dress? Yeah, like yeah. how did... did Blunt give it to her after the scene? Like when they walk away together, did he say, "Oh, go and visit"? But but for him to have come up with this intricate murder plot while he's walking down the road, being henpecked by this woman, yeah, just just, just shoot Amberiotis. How did he know that she'd met Amberiotis anyway? So why did he give her the address? Unless he to told, go and see I guess Gerda. maybe Amberiotis told him that she had told him. But even still, it's very complicated it's also, house of cards isn't it it really is <laughs> another thing they never answer and i'm assuming the answer is when gladys got the uh telegram to not be there to say that her auntie mm. had had a thing who sent that Was yeah that... that's never answered is it no is it blunt to get her out so there's less people or did carter send it himself so that he could come and confront her boss while she wasn't there it's never confirmed was it, was it gerda so that she could Go in. And she Gladys had seen... wouldn't go into the office. And, and is it because Gladys had seen the real Miss Sainsbury Seal has eyes and a memory and would have known that she wasn't Miss Sainsbury Seal? Perhaps. Maybe. Oh my god. <laughs> Goodness me, it's very frustrating, isn't it? Yes. It definitely works as a book, but when it's handled as badly as this, in um, yeah. as I say, it feels like it's made by a student filmmaker. 
who's just yeah. being overly arty for no reason at all. I feel like a student filmmaker would have got better music than that, though. That was just, there's no excuse for that. I don't know if maybe the director's wife is like, I can sing like a child. And like, <laughs> sounds like the Munchkins, doesn't it? Really Your weird. version does. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, it's wild. But there mm. we go. They get arrested, uh, and they're pretty unashamed in their their killing of it. Blunt proves himself to be a massive, massive blunt, really. And Farah <laughs> gives this wonderful speech about you know, for the many, not the few. In effect, I don't waste pity on people like him. Eh bien, Monsieur Blunt, that is where you and I, we do not see alike. For to me, the lives of those three people are just as important as your own life. And also, mm. a lovely little bit at the end between him and Jap, isn't there? Look at it, Poirot. The trappings of wealth and power. And yet underneath it all... Yes, Chief Inspector? Well, I mean, it just shows you, doesn't it? They're no better than we are when it comes down to it. It's the little chaps that keep things on an even keel. Chaps like you and me. But there are no little chaps, Chief Inspector. Particularly not Poirot. There is. But before that bit, there's this oh. weird laughing as well, isn't there? Oh, I did wonder what that was. Yeah. Is that the kids? <laughs> <laughs> as if to, like, hammer home that, oh, I'll tell you what, people are going to be absolutely wet in their beds <laughs> with nightmares that night. It's like, really? Stop Maybe, it! Stop yeah. it! No, <laughs> what are you no. doing? Oh, but yeah, let's yeah. let's end on a nice point. Let's talk about Jap and Poirot and how yeah. rich people are awful. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a, a very uneven experience for me. And me. Onto bigger and better things, though. It's a shame because this series did kick off so well with ABC Murders. Death in the Clouds. I I don't hate it. I just think it's no, not really at all. Baggy. Just any last thoughts on this episode? I'm always struck actually by the whole. <laughs> fact that Gerda was you know she basically murders her best friend I've always found that yeah. story element quite dark one Gerda's a, uh, yeah. a dark character she's a proper psychopath because she not only murdered her friend but mutilated her to cast doubt yeah. over her identity like that's pretty dark and she apparently she bloody loves it. He was like, oh, she loves she loves the drama. She just loves the drama. She'd be like <laughs> one of those girls that has a, a mug that says drama queen on it. Like that's Gerda. She does love well, the drama. Tearing at your face with a you know <laughs> putter. putter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. I. It's a shame to have ended the season on that episode, but I'm excited for the next series. Adam, I think we've got some good ones yeah. in that one. Yeah, season the... five. We're going to go straight into it, I think, because we've had sort of weeks off here and there over the Christmas festive period. Plus, the interviews have, have broken things up quite nicely. Yeah, we've got eight episodes in season five. So we're going to be back with those in two weeks' time. If you want to hear them early, by the way, then signing up at patreon.com forward slash cozy AF will get you early access. Maybe only by a few days, but um, you'll still be on the VIP list should we say yeah. the next episode we're going into is a good one isn't it it's called the yes. adventure of the egyptian tomb i love this cool. one it's, yeah it's really good and it's location shooting and all that stuff so and yeah. frankie can Exotic. prattle on about her egyptian heritage again so brace brace mm. all right <laughs> uh, there's a few good ones in this series i'm excited yeah as you we were just discussing as well not too much longer with the four of them we're getting ever closer yeah. to the end of the Whitehaven for rain. <sighs> it's good though because they're all they're all swarming back for the next bank of episodes. So that's Thank good. goodness for that. 
Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, it's been lovely spending some time with you again. Um, Likewise. See you next time for the adventure of the Egyptian tomb. Au revoir. Au revoir. like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at labors hercule we're also on instagram if you like pictures at labors of hercule and if you were born in the 1920s yourself then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at the labors of that's it from us see you next time au revoir mes amis you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories so if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight search for calm cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night